Welcome to ESG Matters, a podcast series offering practical, useful, and inspiring ways for organizations to make positive and lasting environmental, social, and governance impacts. My name is Gabriel Learn, receptionist and LGBTI plus champion at Ashurst based in New York. In this episode, we're going to be celebrating Pride Month and commemorating the ongoing pursuit of equal justice for the LGBTI plus community. I will be speaking with Evan Lam, finance regulatory partner and LGBTI champion based in Singapore, along with Rachel Reese, director of Global Butterflies, a company created to bring awareness of trans and non-binary issues to the business sector based in the UK. You are listening to ESG Matters. To begin today's episode, I thought I might take the opportunity to provide a background on Pride Month and why we want to be talking about trans and non-binary gender awareness. Pride Month is widely known as a celebration for the LGBT plus community and a time where allies around the world show their support and solidarity of equal rights for all. In the US, the gay rights movement was catalyzed by the Stonewall riots of 1969. And soon after, Pride Month began to be celebrated in countries like the UK, Australia, and many more. From the 70s onwards, Pride Month became increasingly commercialized as acceptance towards the LGBT plus community widened with the recognition and legalization of gay marriage across various nations and increasing legislation on equal rights for the LGBT plus community. However, the true forces behind the scenes for these milestones often go unrecognized and underappreciated. Gay liberation was not equally liberating for everyone. People of color, women, and trans people were often marginalized by the mainstream gay rights movement. In the U.S., much progress for the LGBT plus community was driven by trans activists such as Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson. In the U.K., trans visibility was bolstered by English model April Ashley, journalist Jan Morris, and actress and Bond girl Caroline Cossey. In the same way that these activists and individuals and their representation formed the building blocks of Pride Month, Today in our podcast, we seek to create and hold space for men and women like yourselves to recognize, appreciate, and listen to what you may have to share with us from your own personal experiences. So Evan, what is it like to be trans in Singapore today? It's an interesting time, really, because um, there has been a huge amount of evolution in the space around people becoming more aware of their gender identity a lot more trans people are starting to come out. We're starting to see a lot more representation for non-binary persons and just everyone in general being more comfortable coming out and saying they were trans. In, in comparison, when basically when I came out, which was about six years ago now, uh, it was a very different situation back then. I basically had no trans role models in the workplace or in my personal life. I didn't know anyone personally who was trans. And... Right now, what we're seeing is that there are a whole bunch of students, for instance, in universities that are, you know, part of the wider LGBT network, but are also trans-focused and trans-specific. So there's a huge amount of movement within the community to support itself, to encourage, you know, other persons within the trans and non-binary communities and to just provide that level of support. But that said, you know, Although the, the community is getting more organized, although it's getting, you know, uh, it's also because of that, it's also becoming more visible. And because of the visibility, we're also seeing more pushback. How about you, Rachel? What is it like to be trans in the UK today? 
that's become a very complex question. Up to about 2017, we were on an ascent of trans rights and non-binary inclusion rights. I would say that we were very inclusive as a country. We were number one in the European League table. Transgender was the word of the year. It was looking very rosy for the trans and non-binary community. I thought my job was going to be very easy running a, an inclusion company. And then with the introduction of the government's consultation on self-ID, American administration that wasn't really trans-supportive, um, trans rights plummeted in the UK in the last three years. I think it was because we were so far advanced that we've now hit a, back, a backlash. This is our daily um, our daily bread. And as a result, the United Kingdom has fallen to number 10 in the European rights, LGBT rights, and rightly so, because we are hideous at it. So sorry to hear that. And, and, and it is unfortunate that that is the kind of sensationalism that requires for progress to happen, right? For 2021, the theme of NYC Pride is the work continues. Progress requires active allyship and participation from all. There is no perfect ally, just empathetic people who are willing to put their ego aside, listen with an open heart and are willing to proactively create change within themselves, their own beliefs and outwardly advocate and educate their colleagues and peers. How has allyship supported you in your lives? In return, what are your journeys as allies for other people in the community? Uh, Evan, do you want to start first? I think as, as it's pretty clear, you know, when as trans people, we walk amongst all of our, everyone else, we go to public places, we worry about our safety, we worry about our access to healthcare, we worry all the time about whether or not we can get a job or whether we're going to get let go tomorrow because we wear, for many of us, our gender identity within in, in our skin. It's either visible from the outside or it's visible in our records. It's not something that many of us can hide or get away from entirely. And on top of that, the quirk about gender identity is that it's also dependent to a certain extent on the external world recognizing and reflecting that gender identity back at us. And, and so we have particular issues that you know some other communities don't face, which is, for instance, in Singapore, a big thing is whether the state recognizes our transition, whether they're going to allow us to update our identity documents, whether that you know, is gonna then translate into the other rights that we would want to have, like the right to marry, the right to have property. You know, We have seen cases where some of that has been rolled back. For instance, we've seen trans persons in Singapore who got married and after transition, because uh, gay marriage is still not a thing here in Singapore, their, their marriage has been annulled, their, their house has been taken away from them and various other uh, things have happened that, you know, in any other place we call a human rights violation. So the allies play such an important role in that because it, you know, really it's about the people, not just, you know, being friendly, having a friendly face to talk to, having someone who is on your side, which is, of course, incredibly important as well within the workplace, within your personal life, but also the, the knowledge that society as a whole, you know, you know, is able to come together and stand behind you to a certain extent and ensure that, you know, these rights that so many of us, so many people outside the trans community take for granted aren't simply overturned because of a few negative voices or a few angry people within society who are asking for all of this to be taken away just because for some reason or other they fear trans people. Thank you Evan and I really think that at Ashurst we try our very best to be active allies here as well. Role models are vital in the workplace. What makes a good role model? Uh, Rachel do you want to start? 
course, yes. Um, well, I mean, I have a saying that if you call yourself a role model or a trans ambassador, you're not. Um, you you can't go around just saying I'm a role model. That's not how it works. You, I think that you, if other people call you a role model, that means that you are. So, and that is what what a role models to me. I, the celebrity role model thing doesn't really work for me. I think what really works is people that are trans and non-binary in the workplace in your sector thriving and standing up and saying i've done this you can do this um when we did the lloyds of london guide we we picked five unknown trans and non-binary people to talk about their experiences in the guide and that was an inspiration because they were there they were in the insurance industry thriving as trans and non-binary people and showing that they would they you know that they transitioned successfully and they were performing really well in their jobs and having having a good time and that's what you need you need in especially in law where visibility is pretty poor you really need trans and non-binary lawyers to be standing up and saying, "Hey, we're here, and you can be the, you could be like us too, and it, it's okay." For me, though, those are the role models. I call them real models <laughs> um, because that—that's what, I, as I say, don't people go around putting role model on their poor? That—that that doesn't ring it for me. You've got to be a genuine person doing the role and thriving because that will help other people come forward, and that's what we need—that visibility. Yeah. So. I, I see it from two angles. I, I fully agree with what Rachel said, which is um, for trans people, definitely coming out, being out and visible was, is just incredibly important in a community as small as Singapore. Um, when I transitioned, there were no other trans lawyers that I knew of at all. I was basically looking at non-binary role models and getting comfort from them that they were able to survive in this legal environment. They were successful. They, it wasn't such a terrible thing whatsoever. And that actually gave me a huge amount of courage to come out as well and live my truth. And I've never looked back or regretted that decision. So that was, that was incredibly important to me personally on my journey as well. And I've seen that reflected as well in, in the junior lawyers coming up who have come up to me to ask me about my transition journey, who are exploring their own transition journey. And I think not just trans persons, but um, cis persons as well, uh, it's sort of rethinking the ideas around gender and gender expression and, you know, kind of pushing back against some of the rigid rules that we have that men should be a certain way, women should be a certain way, and building a more complete understanding of what gender is. And I think that's a journey that all of us are on as a society. The sort of second other angle that I, I kind of came to the role model, or I look at role models from, is really, you know, as a trans person who was transitioning in the middle of my career, trying to, and, you know, as, as a transgender man, I was looking up to various men in the workplace as my role models and trying to identify, you know, the type of person I wanted to be. In law especially, we still have a lot of legacy issues around that it's it's a very male-dominated culture, it's a very male-dominated profession. We had, you know, bad role models, the people who would scream at other at their colleagues, at their clients, who asserted their their position through, you know, basically what we call toxic masculinity. And that was, I was, it was very clear to me that that was not what I wanted to be. And I had to go out and find role models who were mirroring the sort of values that I wanted to expose. Yeah, I just wanted to add to that. That's really, really, really good points made there. I think it, the role model thing, you know, you look at trans women in the 50s and 60s and 70s, and they were overtly feminine and, and they were modeling that role of femininity, which 
and I think that actually as we are coming out more you know as a trans woman you know yeah I will I can you know I'm getting married in a couple of in a couple of months and you'll see the dress I'm going to be very feminine but I like jeans and t-shirts I'm building a flight simulator in my shed you know I work on a, my 1985 West German Porsche at the weekend you know I don't like the, the that 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 society's views of what femininity and women should be I you know I'm 100% trans woman I know that in every every for every fiber of my body, but this the, the society right. In fact, you're not just stash, smashing the stigma by being visible. You are resetting the these the, the society roles of, of gender and what that looks like. And I really think what Evan said was really point. I mean, we we though as role models, you do change that um, that view on society. Um, you know, uh, a lot of my some of my female friends are airline pilots, that kind of thing. It's just smashing those stigmas of these standard views on role modeling uh, of what gender should be. And that's part of that. that, that and that's intricately been added in in the last sort of 25, 20 years. Absolutely. I think in, in debunking the whole concept of role model into real models, it's the same thing with gender roles, right? Gender realness is that's this is what it is. This is what this whole podcast is about. Rachel, you have talked about anti-trans rhetoric and the eroding of trans rights um, in the US, in the UK, and around the world. Looking ahead, can you see any positives for trans people? <laughs> yes. Um, I had to think about this one, but uh, my partner is, is an HR director of, of, at a big global company and and she is a trans woman and is ever the positive person and when we do talks together right it's like it's kind of like Lauren Hardy her view really is obviously generational parenting is having an effect on the next generation and how they've been brought up they've been brought up differently the way that we were brought up and we have been doing some work with some a lot of gen z um, delegates coming out this is the next workforce the next client base coming into the workplace and I thought millennials were quite challenged you know not challenging but they challenged the workplace and you know there's some statistics that say about 12 percent of um, millennials are non-binary and that has changed the workplace for the positive well gen z that you know it's 20 could be 20 percent of gen z could be non-binary they see 50 percent of them see gender being very fluid and they're quite demanding and we've been training with some and they they don't really see what this whole issue is that my generation in the workplace is having with pronouns and identity they don't really they see identity as like well you're five foot ten you've got blue eyes and you're irish and you're trans well so what if they've really kind of melched it in and that's really kind of nice and refreshing and to come that's why companies are sort of like we've really got to do something because our next workforce and our clients are changing so gen z the parenting the gen z um, the next workforce coming in is going to have a big upward. Flight. So this these the, this gender critical movement pushing back are going to be outnumbered in the workplace soon. And then my final thing is corporate allyship. You know, this is my day job every day of the week, a month of Sundays. Um, governments are really bad at this, but a lot of corporate companies coming out of lockdown are going, what are we to the climate? What are we going to be with our workforce? We know a diverse and included workforce is better for business. Our clients are diverse and included. We need to change. And I think that that, I think that com- companies are, and every one of our courses we bang on about, check it, where's your logo? How you work? What are your systems and processes? Where's the healthcare? You know, all that kind of stuff. That corporate allyship is beginning. I begin to see fruits from that, from a lot of very big brands and um, firms who are just uh, are talking the talk. And, and they're moving from what we call, you know, corporate service responsibility, which can be a bit of a whim of the, of the managing director to corporate social justice, 
where we're saying, right, these are our measurables. We're going to come to terms with our past. It hasn't been good. We're going to lay out some foundations for the future. And we're going to bring in groups to judge us against those foundations to see how we've done. And that is corporate social justice. And a lot of organizations are moving towards that. Absolutely. And I think out, out are the days with, with performative allyship and in our days with active allyship, right? And I really like that, that word change because responsibilities people can shirk. Justice, you can't really escape that. It's, it's out in the open, right? <laughs> Evan, what are actions we can all take to support our colleagues inside and outside of the workplace? Yeah, so the first, uh, I think it's, you know, baseline is, is quite important is always respect the pronouns that a person uses, always respect the name that they choose. In, in Singapore especially, it may not be the same name that's on their official identification. It may not be the same uh, gender marker, what you expect looking at the gender marker on their identification. And, you know, we need to get over that hump at that, where we just follow what's ever on the official ID and just look at people as, as people. And I think this is fundamental, not just for trans persons, but for every one of our colleagues that we deal with, we need to look at them as who they are. So, but that is absolute baseline. I think we can do a lot better than that, which is, I think we can start, especially in Singapore, we are kind of reluctant to talk to people and we need to start getting out of that shell and, and start connecting with others and just walking with them on their journeys and asking, um, how they are, you know, if they are comfortable, eventually they'll start opening up about their, their journey and their difficulties. And that's when we start to really build understanding and, and empathy. And once we have understanding and empathy, that's when we can move forward into more active allyships because that's when you can understand the issues that they go through. So when I went through this journey myself, um, so many people kind of went, okay, you know, we've changed your name, we've changed your pronouns, we respect that. And, you know, your, your issues as a trans person are basically over. And I said, no, this is really the beginning. There's so much else that I need to do. So many other hoops I need to jump through in life, which is so much more difficult for me as a trans person than it is for someone in your position. They didn't come out of this as, out of a place of malice, but out of a place of ignorance. And I think that's where we need to start. Like, greatest thing an ally can do at the beginning of their journey is start by educating themselves. Firstly, take such a huge amount of um, work off the plate of the trans person because it's really exhausting for us to have to go out and repeat our stories or educate people. And when we're talking about the basic 101 things like pronouns, we can't get to the more important topics like our rights, gender recognition, um, healthcare access, mental health issues, and all that because you're so busy talking about the basics. And you know, every ally can take that step to progress that conversation, to educate others as well, you know, but I'm a firm believer that any initiative does need to be trans-led when it's um, supporting a trans community, or it basically needs to be led by the community that it does represent, but allies can play such an important part in finding out how they can help. I don't have much more to add to that, but I will, what I will say is that one way you can support your um, colleagues, you've got to allow allies to get close to this subject. You've got ally, to allies to learn. So this really is a message to trans and non-binary people that when they make mistakes, don't stamp all over them because they will make mistakes. They're human beings, not robots. So they might get your pronouns wrong. Sometimes they do that. And you just need to, you know, they, they'll apologize, hopefully, and move on. And But you, if you to stamp on them, it's some companies while they're learning when we train, they were saying, you, you know, you will make mistakes and admit to them. But as long as you're not doing it with bad intention, that's fine. But again, from our side of the fence, from the trans and minor, we mustn't stamp all over corporate companies that trip while they're learning. 
because otherwise they'll go, do you know, trans is hard, so hard, we're going to walk away from this and we lose an ally, what could be a very strong ally. So there has to be a coming together of the ally side and the trans and non-binary community. We can be, you know, it's very hard why we've been so battered you know, our rights are being eroded. We are, you know, I'm a very, I'm, I'm a very angry person. Who knew? And I can get very passionate. And so it's very easy for us to get annoyed with somebody that gets our pronouns wrong or a company that makes a mistake. But what I, I was trying to, ask, to say to my colleagues is feedback, but don't be angry about it. Hit the emotion out because they have to learn. Otherwise, we'll lose allies, and we don't want that. It's the same with the LGBT community. A lot of LG, LGBT people aren't the greatest ally to trans. And there's been a lot of division, especially with things like the alliance, the LGB alliance in the UK trying to split T away from LGB. And that's where they do. They try to, to push that away. So again, when LGB people are learning about trans rights and coming close, don't stamp all over them. They let them, if they make a mistake, they are trying to learn so they can support us. Thank you both so much for your time. And I, I even in, in preparing for this podcast, I've learned so much. And, and even just being here today, I've you know, you've both expanded my mind and understanding of of how to be a better ally and also just who we are as people, right? And and what we can all do as a community to help others be on our side. And at the end of the day, it's not really there's there's no there are no sides. We're all just trying to grow as people and trying to make the, the world a more inclusive place. So thank you again for your time. Thank you very much, Gabriel. Thank you, Lee. Yes, thank you, Gabriel. Thank you for listening to this special edition of ESG Matters. To hear more ESG Matters episodes, including our 30 for Net Zero 30 series, please visit asterisk.com forward slash podcasts. To ensure you don't miss future episodes, subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. While you are there, please feel free to keep the conversation going and leave us a rating or a review. Thanks again for listening and goodbye for now.